Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi, friends. Today I have the honor of speaking with Billy Merritt, actor, writer, voiceover actor on Steven Universe, which is one of my favorite shows ever, (laughs) and one of the original members of UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York. And for those who don't know, UCB is an improv comedy theater philosophy and school, and it's really well known here in L.A. So today we're going to talk about a lot of things, but in particular, how improv can improve your approach to life on and off the stage. Hi, Billy. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Pregnant, out yeah. of breath, all the time. <laughs> I um, get that. I'm lightweight, too, and I'm not even pregnant. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of your team, The Smokes. Well, thank you. Uh, and UCB in general. Thank you. So I might sound now, like... Now, just to clarify, I'm not a UCB member. I'm a member of the theater. I don't know if that anybody cares if that's a difference or I not. I don't know. I didn't know there was a... <clears throat> well, the UCB four are oh, the founding okay. members. That's Amy Poehler. Matt Walsh, Matt Besser, and uh, Ian Roberts. Gotcha. And I'm all their best friends. Well, that's that's the same thing in sort of <laughs> many ways. Um. So yeah, so silently freaking out. It's Good. Little. Deal with it. Um. So for the layman out there, can you give us a brief summary of what you do as an improviser, just like how a scene works? Yeah. Uh, so basically, we do a thing called long form improvisation. There's two different styles of improv: short form, long form. Uh, short form is what a lot of people, that's what you tell your mom, uh, what improv is, uh, which is like, uh, whose line is it anyways? Lots of, uh, uh, short form games or party games, if you will. A lot of us got our start there. Then what I do is a a thing called long form improvisation, which is what we teach at UCB, where we take one word and go for 30 minutes off of that one word. So there's lots of ways of deconstructing the word and figuring out what it means and coming up with ideas. And then with those ideas, you do scenes. Then you deconstruct those scenes, do scenes off of those scenes. And it just builds and builds and builds. All, all from scratch. All from scratch. All from one word. And ourselves. And what evolution does it take to get there? Like if you're just starting out and you're trying to learn how to be, I guess, an improviser? Yeah, yeah. Uh, take a class. <laughs> this is the first move. <clears throat> you know, I think the evolution has changed because a lot of us were short formers went into long form, but I think there's a, the majority of people doing long form now have never done short form. So that used to be the evolution. Now it's just simply taking the class. And uh, since moving out to LA, I've, uh, I guess since uh, in New York when I taught, I'd only teach advanced levels because there's something about you only teach the best or this or that. I absolutely love teaching one-on-one out here. Uh, probably would have loved it in New York too, but uh, the idea being this is when people are at their most scared and they don't know what to do. Ooh. So the very first day of class, we'll have the uh, group get up and like pick something you really want to talk about, something you want to rant about or rave about, except for traffic in LA uh, because everybody <laughs> talks about that. And then as I point to you, you just keep talking, keep talking, keep talking, keep talking until I quit pointing at you. And the idea behind that is, in the first day of class, is you've always got something to say. Right. Uh, your brain is already thinking about stuff. And, you know, and I always mention, 
goddamn 405 as you're driving. Think of all the stuff you think about while you're driving, while you're in traffic. That's fuel for your fire. That's information that you can use to do scenes about. Hmm. Uh, the the ride here, I was on stuck on a goddamn 10. Can I say goddamn? Is <laughs> yeah. it okay? Okay. You can say fuck. Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> don't make me don't make me say what I don't want to say. Uh, uh, but as I'm uh, driving, uh, uh, I'll see a car, and it's like, "What's the story behind that guy? Uh, what's what's up with this couple here, or something like that?" Mm-hmm. Your brain is already thinking scenically. Your right. brain is already seeing who's and where's and uh, uh, situations that you could play off of. So what we're teaching you right at the very beginning is the first day. First thing I say in class is, "Don't be funny. Do not." try to be funny. That only gets in your way. Mm. You'll sacrifice everything to try and get to the joke and you'll lose all the information that's already in your head. And I feel like if you're trying to be funny, you're not listening to others. Absolutely. Like very good. Very so good. Yeah. Key. yeah. It's like yeah. first date rules. Too. No, no, absolutely. So, besi- so on the first day, everyone's scared shitless and they're yeah. like, I have to be funny. And they're, so they're learning how to like loosen up just through yeah, ranting. Yeah. What else are, are you kind of getting people into in the first day? Uh, the first day we teach, we bring in the theory of yes and. What does yes and mean? Uh, uh, and also in a class, we usually, our classes are about 16 strong. Uh, I would say half are scared shitless and half think they got this. Uh, so I'm building some people up and I'm tearing some people down. (laughs) It's like, you're not as fun. Don't try to be funny. Don't try to be funny. You've sacrificed it all for a joke. So I have to tell those people that. Then once we got that all out of our system, we talk about what does yes and mean? Uh, and we teach it so much and we talk about it so much that sometimes it can get cliche I was right. like, don't forget the yes and. I'm like, yeah, yeah, thanks, mom. All right, whatever. What is what is yes and for? Yes and means yes is we both agree with the reality that we're setting up. So if I say, uh, hop in a car, let's go to the beach, uh, you do not say, that's not a car, that's a motorbike or something like that. Even though it's minor, it changes the reality a little bit. Uh, why have that up front? Why not just have agreement up front? So hop in a car, let's go to the beach. All right, awesome. I can't wait to go to the beach. That's yesing. So now we've agreed with that. But that's not a scene until you get into and. It's always agree plus add more information to it. Uh, So hop in a car, let's go to the beach. Great, that's awesome. I can't wait to meet the whole family there. I've never had a family reunion at a beach. It sounds exciting. I'm all (laughs) excited (laughs) about this scene already. So uh, the idea behind that is, number one, let's create a reality base. Uh, That's a big word that we use in 101. What's the truth of this scene? How is this real? How in somewhere in North America this scene is actually happening? Uh, So like in those first few words, do you believe that somebody could have a, a reunion at a beach? Yes. Then we're on mark. We'll figure out where to go from there. And then the idea of yes and is you just keep yes anding as you go along. Which I would say is a great formula for making friends, also working creatively with other people. Yeah. Even if you don't agree with them, (laughs) because then you at least have something like they feel special and smart versus shut down and shitty. That's great. I love that idea. And it's also, uh, uh, I I will tell people in class, don't be a yes man. A yes man just agrees and doesn't add anything Mm. to the conversation. It's always your duty to add a little more, you know, add a little information because it feeds other people. If I yes and you and you yes and me, it's like a ladder. We don't quit talking. We just keep building information. Right. Uh, and I think that's the idea, you know, with 
if you can get people in one-on-one to believe in that, then you can get to the real meat of what improv is. And the, I know a, a core part of it is being present. Yeah. Um, how would you say, I know there are a lot of people, like you said, that you have to cut down because they come in like, I'm special. Yeah, yeah. And I know a lot of people know people who all they want to do is like, wait for someone to finish talking so they can talk. Sure, yeah. So do you think improv rewires your brain <laughs> yes. per- pervasively? Yeah, it starts with the SN. It starts with the SN. Then we start using some buzzwords like acting is reacting. And it's like, don't make a plan. Wait till you hear what's being said so that you can then react to that. Mm. Uh, I like to use the term as we trick ourselves into acting on stage. By waiting to hear what the person says, internalizing it, and letting it affect you with what you say ahead of time. Oh. A lot of people, that's why, again, why I say don't be funny. Because uh, you're going to come off, uh, we say coming off the back wall means going into a scene. Because uh, for some reason in our theater, we all stand on the back wall, then we go on stage to do scenes. Some theaters, you go off into the wings. You know, it's just a different phraseology with different theaters. But we always say, when you come off the back wall into a scene with a plan, and the plan doesn't go the way you think, that's when you get in trouble. Right. That's when you think, I got a funny idea. And then this person says something else like, no, that that doesn't fit into my <laughs> funny idea. Right. And that's when you go, haba, 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 don't know where to go with it. Right. So I think the more you do it, the more you realize, oh, man, it is much more rewarding to go into a scene with no plan at all, or better yet, going in with an idea and having your scene partner go in with an idea, merging the two ideas and walking off stage after that scene going, didn't expect it to go there. Right. And that's a good thing. As opposed to coming off the back wall going, this is the, this is the scene we're going to do. Do the scene and walk off like you've done nothing. You know, right. you just planned it and did it. What do you think is the most, or what do you think is one of the most important qualities in an improviser? Uh, well, along with that lines, it's always listening uh, and patience, those two things together. And they are kind of tied together. Uh, uh, listening is not just, if it's 50% listening with your ears and 50% listening with your eyes and another 50% listening with your heart. Wait, you know? Yeah, that's well, that's an improv. Uh, yeah, you can't improvise until you hear everything that's going on around you. Uh, especially with our style, cause we like to call out the unusual. So you don't see the unusual until, you know, uh, you can call it out. An example of a smoke show where this is, where that happens. I think we're all set up as in we were in an office. Uh, and clearly the idea was it was a reality show writer's room and they were writing something for like The Bachelor or something like that. Uh, and Chris Kula has a football in his hand, a fake foot, like object work, pretending that there's a football in his hand. And I was like, all right, guys, we got to come up with some ideas for this reality show. And it's like, that's just a base general offer, which means the scene could go anywhere. Uh, uh, and I just noticed as he's talking, he's really playing with his football. So in scene, uh, by the way, I'm talking about how great I am in improv here. Uh, uh, I see him doing that. So, uh, we start talking about what we need to do with the bachelor to make it funnier. We need to make it more dangerous. And I say, Hey boss, could you just put the football down? We feel you're going to hit us, you know, or, or something like right. that. So seeing him doing that object work became what the scene was about. Right. Uh, he keeps throwing a football at everybody when he gets excited, you know, right. uh, keeps talking about his college days or, or something like that. Uh, so that's listening by seeing what's going on on stage and calling it out. Right. Uh, patience is just waiting for the comedy to come to you, not you chasing the comedy down. 
Oh my god, such I feel like that's like the core ingredient to a good friend and good conversation. Yeah. Cuz like yeah. it's there is such a powerful thing in like being able to be silent with somebody. Yeah. And like not feeling like you have to fix anything or change anything. That's hard, it's isn't it? Super hard. <laughs> and it's like a sign I think of a confident person <clears throat> mm-hmm. when you're just like present and you're there and you're listening and you're not yeah. trying to force anything. No, that's absolutely true. Uh I just as you're talking about I'm just thinking about it, I just went uh out with drinks with somebody yesterday and it was just almost competitive on how we're going to try and top this story with that story. <laughs> and I caught ourselves, we're not listening to each other. We're just waiting to finish so we can say what we want. Right. You know, uh, and we're all doing it for the, we're doing it to impress each other and like each other. Right. So it's not like we're doing it like we don't like each other. Right. But I think there is a desperation to be friends. Totally. And that's what happens. Um, yeah. So note to everybody, try just uh, sitting. In yeah. the silence, see what happens. What do you notice most shitty improvisers doing? Like, what would you say is the the tendency or the insecurity that drives shitty? Uh, anything Adam does, really. Uh, <laughs> He's talking about my husband. <laughs> uh, uh, you know what? It's. I mean, we all have personal peeves uh, as to what you know, uh, bad improv is, or, or this or that. And it just goes to the, the that part of, like, I'm going to be the funny one. You mm-hmm. know, I'm going to be the funny one no matter what, and I'll sell out everybody else to do it. Right. Uh, uh, and I guess it's, a, it's an opinion thing. Obviously, people who deny reality will never make it in that business. They just will not stay on a team or whatnot. Uh, but I don't want to say shitty improvisers, but really good people that are... Uh, <laughs> hmm, Famous uh, now that have come up through the improv ranks. Some of them, I think, came up and are great improvisers. Others used improv to become great. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's my personal uh, pet peeve, is people that sacrifice an art form that I love and think is great and is a great philosophy just to get their own personal gain. Mm. But also, I get it. We're in Hollywood, and that's what you're supposed to be doing. Right. But there are people who do it the right way and people who do it the wrong way. How would you say... Um, personally, like improv, just the philosophy or the practice of it has changed your life in other ways off the Oh, let's see. Uh, well, I'm poor. <laughs> uh, no, it's, uh, it's the power of observation. Again, listening, watching, and seeing, um, that is my favorite thing. I mean, to almost a, a, it's a hindrance to a, it's not a bad habit, but I really prefer, like the first acting uh, uh, exercise I ever got was go to the mall. This is back when there were malls and observe people, observe people and bring it back. And so my people watching skills are are tremendous. I can watch people forever and just see scenes and see what's going on. And it's so interesting to me. I like, I feel like I'm more of an observer uh, in, in real life watching. I mean, obviously the bad part of that is I forget to talk to people uh, (laughs) and stuff like that. And then uh, the rule of, uh, I mean, this isn't new. Uh, Improv in this style and this method is not new. Yes, and has been around. It's been called the power of positive thinking. Uh, uh, You can go back 100 years and there's a style or a version of this idea, and it's always been there. Uh, That's something I've learned over my years is don't treat this as this is the great new thing. Just treat it as this is the new version of something that's been around for a long time. I remember in the 70s, as a little child in the 70s, uh, there were a lot of rings that said yes. There were mood rings and rings that said yes. And it was just the the hippie thing to do is to always say yes, man. <laughs> uh, uh, and it's like kind of that's that's 
I don't know how I went on this tear. I just want to pick on hippies. Uh, uh, Who needs them? Right? Yeah. I think through my observation, I began to realize that this isn't that special. This has been around forever. And because of that, I found it even more special. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, it's something about history. There's something very assuring to me when I see history repeating itself. And uh, improv uh, can go back to... 1934, uh, the WPA Theater Project, when they would do uh, a show called The Living Newspaper. You can even go back, actually go back to the 60s. Uh, that's where the actual first Herald was invented. Go back to the 30s. You have this thing called The Living Newspaper, which is kind of an improv form. You go back to Commedia dell'arte uh, uh, and, and stuff like that. It's always been around in some manner or form. Uh, it's just refined and defined. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I just went off on a tangent again, didn't I? <laughs> Would you say that, like, I mean, I, I feel like just knowing about Yes And yeah. makes me kind of try to do that, and I think things yeah. go better in all spheres when yeah. I try and do that. Also, just being present and listening. Yeah. Oh, and I'm sorry, the, to answer your question, I was doing all <laughs> this to lead to my new favorite mantra, which is, there are no mistakes, there's only gifts. Ah. Uh, uh, you can't go wrong. Nothing that happens to you cannot be an obstacle. It's always a gift. I totally believe that. Yeah, about and life. that's on stage. And that's like that competitive edge is like, I'm going to turn this into gold no matter that's what. exactly how I think everyone should approach life. Yeah, and that's the idea, is improv skills are life skills because we are learning acting, and acting is the art of imitating life. So that's where the connection is. So, yeah, I think that's what I meant to say before I went <laughs> off on uh, bashing hippies, <laughs> is there are no mistakes, there's only gifts. Yeah. And do you feel like you actually organically can do that in your life? I try. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all we all create problems for ourselves or we all have those problems. I would say now in my life, I am less uh, waylaid by them. You know, it's not like uh, I don't. There used to be times, uh, again, coming up through the acting world in uh, New York after an audition. I'd have certain auditions, especially a callback where it's like, after the audition, I just go in bed and lie underneath the covers for two days because I'm a failure and this is horrible. That mm -hmm. doesn't happen ever anymore, you know, and it comes through repetition, but also, you know, no matter what you do, eh, you know, I've learned from it and I'll move on from there, right. you know. Yeah. I think remind, I always remind myself, like, I get to choose if I want this to be like a huge bummer or if I want it to not matter at all. That's like, a, that's a great note is you get to choose. Yeah. You know, I think we kind of forget that. We, we just totally feel do. put upon. Yeah, we feel like we're a victim of the yeah. circumstance. It's like, actually, you get to decide what it's going to mean to you. Yeah, it's the grandma syndrome. Woe is me. You know. <laughs> um, can you elaborate on what it feels like to not think? Because I know a lot of my yeah. listeners are stuck in, like, get a lot of people just get stuck in narration mm -hmm. and analysis and obsession and, like, talking to themselves about themselves and feeling shitty and not yeah. be able to stop that. So, yeah. How do you get there? What does it feel like? Well, we have a, a term called arriving at don't think. Uh, in order to get there, at least the way I teach it is, first of all, you have to do a lot of thinking to get to don't think. You have to really focus and learn all the rules of, and this is within the improv world, learn all the rules of improv, know that there's a lot of things you can do and you can't do. In other words, learn 100 rules because every scene you do has a series of rules to follow and a series of rules to break in order for that one scene to exist. 
because there aren't just set rules all the time. You know, a rule would be don't do a transaction scene because all you're doing is watching somebody buy a sandwich. Right. But I, if you've seen a smoke show, I always buy a sandwich in every show. <laughs> but we always find something out of it and turn it into a scene. Uh, um, so, oh, wait, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> what does it feel like to not think and how do you Oh, get so that? you do all this stuff. You go through all these rules so that then you can just clear your head. And as soon as something hits you, you trust your instincts to react naturally right then and there. And that's acting as reacting. It's like listening to something and hearing it right then and there. And there's lots of different techniques and lots of different ways to, to play it. Uh, in my advanced classes, we talk about listening from the head, the heart, the stomach, and the groin, uh, how things hit you and affect you, and how to become an actor and come from it. Uh, so, for instance, when you listen with your head, you're thinking analytically. You're thinking, and we use Mamet as an example of a playwright, or uh, for most improvisers, you have to mention Vulcans, and they'll understand Star <laughs> Trek or Star Wars. Uh, people are much more logical, and they explain their philosophy and their way of uh, feeling. Uh, from the heart or from the chest, it's about pride, you know, listening from here. This is all what don't think means to me. It's like, listen with a part of your body and let that part of your body react to it. Mm. Uh, but you have to analyze what that part of your body means. You know, you right. can't just go, if you listen, just listen to your heart. You know, that doesn't <laughs> do anything. But if you realize it and focus, and in our class, we read a lot of Tennessee Williams. We read a lot of emotional scenes that are kind of built up to the point where they simply have to come out. To me, that's what coming from the, the heart or the chest means. It's about pride. It's about courage and stuff like that. The best listening comes from the gut, as far as I'm I concerned. Agree. Uh, I use examples of, uh, uh, this sounds horrible, the butterflies in your stomach that you can't control. Right. There's two different ones. You talk about falling in love with someone and you feel the butterflies, uh, uh, or, uh, <laughs> this is a horrible comparison, but uh, my flash memory is of a, a pet of mine going and having to put my pet down, oh, or like wow. a, a good close friend of mine or a good close family member is going into the hospital and I feel the fluttering in there, you know? Right. And I feel that listening is instinctual. That's right. your human gut telling you. Uh, and if you were to tie it to playwrights or film rights, it would be... Uh, uh, Oh, what's his name? Journey into Night, uh, Eugene O'Neill, uh, or uh, Kurosawa. Nice. I think Kurosawa is the only film director where he allows his actors, once they hear bad news, to literally land on their ass right. and then get back up again because <laughs> the news affected him just that hard. Right. You know, uh, and then the groin is not necessarily sexual. It's that's honest instinct. That is, you are the human animal. And you do what you do out of instinct, hmm. you know. Uh, if you compare it to playwrights, I would use a, a lot of absurdist playwrights like Charles Bush. I'm really dating myself because I can't think of a modern absurdist playwright. But uh, uh, and that, you, that's again through training and classes. You go through that. You think it. Then you arrive at don't think, and just go on stage. This is what I tell an actor. Okay, now just listen with your head, and let your head decide what you're going to do. That don't think. Just let your head do it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, and as you practice all those elements, then, is, then you say, quit worrying about any of that and just exist on stage and listen and then see how it affects you. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. When you hear it, it might hit you here. It might hit you in the heart. It might hit you in the stomach. It might hit you in the head. You don't know yet, you know. You have to learn a practice of like non-reactivity because I feel like a lot of what I 
I try and preach is like being able to step back when you're having a visceral reaction. Usually it's fear. Yeah. Your, like your like brain is getting in the way. Like it's, it's oh, chattering. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like almost like you have to take a little step back on the stage that is your brain and be like, okay, now what do I want to do? Or what, is, yeah. what am I going to choose to do based yeah. off of this information? I try to get people to, well, how would you really react? How would you really react? You know, uh, don't think about what move I need to make. But really focus on how you would really react. And I am drawing a blank, but what are the uh, stages of grief? Uh, Is there a t- term for it? like, yeah, there are four, I think. Uh, shock, horror, uh, sandwich. <laughs> <There's> like denial. <laughs> uh, Vegas. Uh, no, uh, was it shock, denial? No, shock, anger. Shock, and denial, denial, anger, and bargaining. Uh, acceptance. We're just wasting something. people's time. But <laughs> the idea is we can spend all the time going, what is it? What is it? But if something happens to you naturally, you do it naturally. You go, what? No, that can- that's bullshit. Are you sure? Hey, what if we, and you'd kind of automatically do it without paying attention to it. So to achieve that, don't think you got to take it aside, study it, read it, understand why you're doing it. Then forget about it yeah. <laughs> and let it just let the muscle memory take over. That's exactly how I uh, teach uh, like soothing tools. Like when you're oh. really overwhelmed, yeah. when you're like triggered or you're like having a, when you go into like your shame spiral or whatever spiral <laughs> you have, yeah. if you can Not just. like a good shame spiral. Yeah. <laughs> Debauchery. <laughs> you, if you can memorize the things that work for you, yeah. you literally don't think you just do them. Yeah. It's like you're immediately, your your instinct yeah. is like, all right, I gotta get the fuck out of the house and run. As a writer, I know you're a writer as well. Yes, I am. Do you ever get stuck in a creative rut? You know what? I got one, I got something going on now as, because I, I don't know if they know this, but you gave these questions ahead of time. Does it, did I ruin it? You can no. edit this out. Fuck. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I'm I'm writing a book right now, and I wrote it, uh, and it's just a comedy. It's a, uh, a faux acting book called The Actor's Tool, How to Be Your Own Tool. And it's about, uh, I wrote a whole bunch of tweets that are bad acting advice, uh, but as real acting advice. Like if you're on stage uh, and you don't like what your scene partner's doing, give the audience a sideward glance so they know you know this isn't good. Right. You know, so in other words, just horrible things you should never do. Right. I teach. So I wrote a book uh, with that, and it was just like taking the tweets and expanding on each of these, but playing it as a uh, actor, teacher, director. Uh, talk me, but the comedy version right. of me, the blowhard version of me, very close. <laughs> I am rewriting the book, and I'm... Well, like the second round, and I hate everything I've written. <laughs> uh, uh, and it's like, what am I doing? I'm this, I'm a horrible human being. I get it, but it's not that, you know. So my personal problem is rewriting everything I write. Uh, uh. It seems, and I got to get over, that's my hump I got to get over. And it comes from the improv is write it down once, that's it. And right. it's like, no, not if you're writing. You've got to. I know. You know, and that's what I'm learning to do. So I never, I don't have writer's block until the second time around. Then I kind of like force correct a little bit. What do you do to get out of your creative rut? Force yourself to go through it. Right. You know, force yourself. That's what Amy Poehler says in uh, Yes, Please. Yeah, yeah. She says, just do the fucking writing. 
You know, yeah. the secret to writing is just doing the fucking writing. Yeah, we all so love much. to bitch about writing. Mm-hmm. Writers are the worst at writing, you know, because I love to bitch about it. And, you know, you find these little secrets. Like, for me, it's I'm a creature of habit, so I have to find the right time every day to find that moment where I can write. Uh, lately, if I teach, uh, like if I'm in town, I've been traveling a lot, but if I'm in town, I'll teach a morning class and a night class specifically so I have four hours where I am at the UCB and I'm in, on a desk. It's like, I might as well write. Right. And it takes a couple of days for me to lollygag, lots of lollygagging, and then eventually I start writing. And once I start, I'm fine, you know. Well, so you haven't, do you have any, like, uh, creative workouts or resources or things that get you inspired? You know what I started with, and I don't do it anymore, is um, what is that book that everybody did? Uh, the Actor's Way, The Artist's Way? Are you familiar with this book? Well, one of the writing things that they have you do is as soon as you get up, before you do anything else, with your cup of coffee in the morning, write three pages. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard that before. The artist's way. The artist's way, I think it is. There's lots of other little exercises that you do. And when I do that, that's great. uh, Because then you're just in the muscle mechanics of it. You know, and that's the thing that stops me the most. You know, that and the internet. (laughs) You know. (laughs) So. Uh, I think I'm almost at the point of doing that actor's retreat thing, of going somewhere like a cabin. Our, uh, a friend of mine who's a writer, he, when he has a movie due, he rents a hotel room. Mm. And it's like, I go, how can you write in a hotel room? That's just the saddest place in the world yeah, to be. Right? No one knows and he says, yeah, either. that's why he does it. And it's like, are you contemplating suicide when you do this? Yeah. Like, no, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know. That's, yeah, I did that yeah. once, and it did feel like kind of The hotel room? Mm-hmm. I don't like it's it. Super no. Depressing. You got to find your thing, yeah. you know? Um, you once said, uh, if you want to be a great improviser, be a great person. Or you yeah. said the note resonated with you. Can the you wrote, elaborate? The note definitely resonated with me because I was not a good person. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I heard that from an improviser teacher actor called uh, Bob Dassey. That's what he's called, Bob Dassey. <laughs> uh, uh, he's over at I.O. He plays with his wife, Stephanie Weir, in a show called uh, Weird Ass, which is just wonderful. Uh, and Bob's a great guy. I think he's the one that mentions, it's like, uh, on stage, you're playing a horrible person. Why? And it's like, oh, because it would be funny. It's like, yeah, but why? Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, you can't play the same game but be a good person? And the reason why is when we get scared on stage, I just gave this speech the other day, When we get scared on stage and we don't know what to do, our instinct as the human animal is to lash out. Mm. In other words, slapstick. In other words, when I don't like something, I bonk it on the head. Uh, uh, And I gave this story. Can we do story time or is that? Yeah, we might as well. Uh, uh, This is a long time ago in New York when I was still in New York and uh, ASCAT was the show. Uh, And it's usually five or six or seven players will show up to do the show. Uh, This night, nobody showed up but me. Uh, And then five minutes before showtime, and it's a long show. It's a seven o'clock to nine o'clock show, then 930 to 11 o'clock. So it's two halves. Four halves altogether. So a two-half show and another two-half show. So it's literally an hour and a half, an hour and a half, three hours of solid improv. Then Amy Poehler shows up. So it's just me and Amy, three hours of improv. And I'm like, ugh. (laughs) I mean, I I love Amy, but I'm scared to death of just doing that. Right. I'm scared to death of doing that with anybody. But Amy? Uh, uh, Because she's so good. Uh, Then she calls somebody and Rachel Dratch shows up. 
And if you know Rachel Dratch, yeah. she's a huge improv legend in New York. Ask at that. She's like a number one fan there. Everybody loves her. Then Tina Fey shows up. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, it's me, Tina Fey. And this is all at the height of 30 Rock and Parks and Rec and all that stuff. So me, Amy Poehler, Rachel Dratch, and Tina Fey are going to do <laughs> three hours of improv back-to-back, packed house. Uh, and I don't know if Amy did this on purpose or she could have done it. I think she did. No, she didn't. Uh, uh, but she uh, introduced, she goes out to say hi to everybody. Then she introduces all the players. Uh, so she introduces, she comes out and everybody freaks out. The audience is like, Amy's here. Yay. Then uh, she introduces the first player, Rachel Dratch. Yay, our favorite improviser. And Tina Fey, wow! The audience gets up out of their seats screaming. And then while they're all screaming, she goes, and it's like, what? Who? What? The whole audience is, and I come out, and you can literally feel the, oh! <laughs> Who is so? I am just straight up in my head uh, at this time. It's like, oh my god, they don't want me here. Why am I here? Why did I choose this as a career path? I'm horrible, or this or that. So I got in my head. Right. I wasn't that bad, but I was clearly in my head. And they set up some sort of scene where Amy, Rachel, and Tina were Jersey mall rat girls, uh, uh, perfect, just smacking gum. And they, uh, Amy saw I was on the back wall, and she pointed over there and says, "Hey, look at Santa. Let's sit seductively on his lap and take pictures." And I immediately freaked out, did the old classic smoking a cigarette, says, fuck off, I'm on my break, and turned away. Audience went, <laughs> and I could see Amy looking me in the eyes going, seriously? Okay. And then they went off and did a great scene, and I just realized, I just knocked them out of my, I had a chance to have, first of all, horribly, uh, I could have had all those three women on my lap playing Santa <laughs> Claus, which would be a dream scene to do. Yeah. Uh, but my nerves made me bonk it on the head and go, fuck off. Because that'll get the first laugh. Right. Okay. And it goes to another old uh, Del Close quote, just because they're laughing doesn't mean you're doing it right. Right. That was a classic example to me. And during that show, after that, I said, oh, way to go, Billy. And then I kind of made up for it afterwards. And the rest of the show was great. Right. But it was like, I've learned more on stage in the middle, in front of people. That, that was like a moment that said, don't be an ass, you know? Right. I know. There's so many times when you could, like, winning makes you feel sh really shitty yeah. and terrible. Yeah. Like, just because you got the last word doesn't mean it was, like, the right thing to do. That's a good point. That yeah. That benefited you. And I, I th firmly believe is, like, when we feel challenged is when we, it's like a cornered animal, you know? Totally. <laughs> we kind of lash out when that happens. Or when you have the ability to, like, feel a certain way, at, like, insecurity, yeah. for example, and still choose the high road. That's, yeah. I think, like, the, that's, like, the part of life that I like looking for. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Ah, that means I just grew. I just grew that muscle right there. Fuck you! I grew. <laughs> I <laughs> win. Terrible. But I just grew. Do you ever get scared on stage? No, I, I've been I, I've been lucky in that sense. Uh, every now and then, I've been. Uh, I'm trying to think. The last time I was scared, scared. I'm more scared, like if I'm on set. Uh, and the cameras are rolling, and I think maybe it's because I got to get this out now, and I'll like get in my head over trying to get certain lines out, right. and I'll flub them, and then once I flub them once, I'll flub them again, oh. and I'll just get into a, a shame spiral <laughs> of uh, uh, so that if I get scared, it would be then, and that only means to me I did not prepare correctly, I did ah. not do the work I should have done. You ever blank? Uh, again with the scripted stuff, yeah. 
Uh, for improv, I never blank uh, because I'm a talker. I'll always have something to do, you know, and it comes from years. I've been doing it for 20 years. So if I don't know what to say, I'll do object work. Uh, if I don't have that, then it's always about the other person. You know, I try to get them to talk about philosophy, their character. And it's like this car's broken. Why do you think it would be broken so many times in a day or something like that? Oh and then they get going. That's a great tool. Also, if you're at an awkward family gathering and yes. you have an, an in-law or relative yeah. that asks you questions about your ex, questions, just constant questions keeps them yeah. engaged. You have any um, kind of mental exercises you do? Let's say you're about to go on a shoot and you are nervous. Yeah. Do you have any mental exercises you do beforehand to get ready? Yeah, there's lots of different ones, uh, uh, which is hilarious. I got into improv because I didn't like memorizing lines, and that's <laughs> bullshit. I do. I don't not like it. Uh, it's just I didn't do the work. You know, I would go over my lines for an hour and think it's like, oh no, it's your job. You go over them for three hours. You know, if you got a lot, you go over them for eight hours. You go over them all day. You do the work you're supposed to do. So that's number one. Then number two, just I have a little mantra I tell myself just to, if I feel myself losing it, <clears throat> and it means nothing to me, but I know it's a mantra that helps me focus. And I think it's, uh, I know what it is. I am the power to be to be the power of the will, uh, uh, which means nothing. But I started doing it when I watched the sci-fi movie Dune. Mm, and okay. I think one of the spice folders said that, something like that. Mm. Not the, I forget what the characters are. They're not the... The monsters and spice, but the uh, the speakers or whatever they are, uh, and it's like I remember this is so long ago when I watched it. I was playing football, so I used to do it when I was lifting weights. <laughs> Though that's where it came from. It's like can you, you can do it, bench press. I am the power to be the be the power of the will. <laughs> <laughs> can you say it slowly. I am the power to be to be the power of the will. I am the will. Wait, I am the will to be to be the power of the will. Uh, I'm sure it's much more, that's what I've narrowed it down to. And it means nothing to me. It just makes me visualize focusing in on one eye, like your mind's eye or something like that, and just pinpointing your focus, then doing what you got to do. Right. So if we have a big show or if I feel like I'm a little tired or peckish or I'm not, I'm not really focused or anything like that, like in a smoke show, uh, you always hear the music go off at first. We always have opening music, uh, uh, Taco Bell. Uh, uh, Pizza Hut Taco Bell song. Yeah. As soon as that comes, there's a certain uh, time when he introduces us we, when we come out. That's when I go, and the power of the be, the be, the power of the will. Ha! And now I'm on, you know. <laughs> right. uh, and it's just repetition, you know. If The power of observation, me looking at the human animal, it's like you need some sort of repetition to make your brain focus in on what you need to focus in on. Right. I'm not as worried about the words that I'm saying is as is I am focusing on the repetition and the pinpointing of it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I do a, a cooked chicken. Like what? if I'm if I'm about to go on a stage and talk to a lot of people, I go through the mental thought process of preparing the chicken. Because I feel like the butterflies stage oh, that's of anticipation great. is yeah. like so it has so much power. So wait a minute, you say you up. think it through? Yeah. I, oh I like wow. Because it, it gets your brain into a different part of your brain. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You have to go through like a like a very tedious process of like, okay, take it out of the fridge, take it out of the wrapper. Every now and then you just you can't think of what you need to think of. Uh and this is how long ago that I was given this note. It's like uh before you go on stage, read a National Geographic, read a Scientific American, read something that makes your brain have to think before you get on stage. Right. And that's a version of that. Is you're like kind of checking out, but you're working on listing. 
yeah. uh, and connecting that way. And it like immediately removes all of the emotion that's yeah. attached to whatever like anxiety, uh, you know, like some sort of like, yeah, very practical, yeah. pragmatic And then system. you get to think about chicken. That's <laughs> nice too. Um, if you were to tell somebody, if you were to give someone advice, let's say they're really self-conscious. And they're constantly just in their brain and they can't yeah. get out of their own way. What would be your advice to them? All that stuff that's inside your brain is right uh, for saying. Uh, I can't tell you. I don't know why this is, but I say there's a good percentage of improvisers that are introverts. Uh, really? uh, they're not all extroverts. There's a, quite a few extroverts, clearly. But a lot of us are, and I am too, I'm shy in front of people. Uh, I have been, but I'm not anymore. Well, whatever. Uh, uh, <laughs> introverts make really good improvisers because they've already worked out scenes in their heads constantly. That's mm. all they do. All they have to learn to do is blurt it out. And I have no, this is where I become the tough teacher. I'll just shout at you until you blurt it out, you know. That's so interesting. That's because like, it's uh, there. It's already there. You've already, everything you need in improv has already been running in your head. Uh, for years. That's the way I tell people to get by uh, when it comes to not knowing how to say or talk to their spouse or just deal with like emotions that yeah. are that are overwhelming them because like usually it's your head that makes you go into the darkest place yes. possible. So yes. narr I call it narration, but just like saying like, I'm having a really hard time and I feel really uncomfortable right now and I don't <laughs> know what to do about it. Like yeah. that immediately makes yeah. you more confident just yeah. by owning the thing that's in your head. Get it out. Yeah. yeah. I mean. And it can't hurt you. And it's trust. Uh, I think sometimes people don't trust getting it out. They don't trust themselves. They don't trust the people around them. Uh, one of the things in 101 you really build up, you have to build up is uh, our keyword is respect. Everybody in this theater or everybody in this class, uh, we must respect and care enough for each other that we're allowed to do and say things that we might be afraid to say. The moment people become defensive or start being aggressive or uh, being inappropriate or not giving respect to people uh, is when we all start to shut down. So our job is to create a safe environment so people can get it out. Because once they go, they can't yeah. stop them. That's such a good rule, I think, for conduct in life. Yeah. Just never, as soon as you say something negative to somebody, it's like you can just watch it like a light switch. You can just yeah. see someone's physicality shift. Yeah. And they go internal. Um, do you feel like through this practice you've be, been able to become more of your true self? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, I keep rediscovering my true self. And I'm in the process over the last few years of realizing uh, I'm not – I like acting. Uh, uh, even though I just said I hate to do it with memorizing lines. I like acting. I love voiceover. Uh, I love improv. Uh, but for the longest time, the worry for a lot of improv, improv teachers is, oh, am I just a teacher? Is that all I am? And it's like it took me uh, <laughs> 18 years to go, wait a minute, when are you happiest? Follow your happiness. I love teaching uh, and I love traveling. And it was, uh, what was it, lean in, say yes? Yes. Uh, uh, I did that about two and a half, three years ago. I just said yes to everybody who asked me to go do their workshops. Because before I was like, uh, this guy named Dylan who has a theater, a small theater in Omaha, Nebraska. Hey, why don't you come out and do it? It's like, first of all, why would you ask me that? I'm in LA. I have to be here for auditions. I didn't say it like that. But in my head, I'm going, I have to, I can't leave. I have to do this. So I said, you know what? Go. 
And it was amazing. Right. So I said yes to everything. And in one year's time, I went to <laughs> Omaha, Vegas, San Francisco, Seattle, uh, uh, not Phoenix. I'd never go to Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix. Uh, uh, Miami, Gainesville, because I'm from Florida. Uh, New York, obviously. Uh, London. Uh, I actually went to London, and it was like a, something that's always been a roadblock to me. Ten hours on a plane? I can't do that. Of course I can do it. And I went there, and I just went back again this spring for two weeks, and now I'm looking to go for three months uh, next year sometime. I would have never have done that. But if I said yes to it, and now, and that actually took me to Alaska on my vacation. All this stuff I have never done before, I've learned to say yes to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the improv training. It's like, follow your fun, follow what you want to do, you know. And I'm also at the age, it's like, mm, I should work on happiness. Yeah. <laughs> you know? We forget to be happy a lot. Oh my God, so true. And yeah. I feel like you also get in a, it's, I think a lot of people have managing habits, like, ways of managing their anxiety about yeah, themselves, like yeah. busyness. Yeah. Busyness is like one of those addictions that I think a lot of people suffer from, especially in like, you know, careers that are creative. It's like yeah. there are so many ways to fill your time. And then one day you don't realize you're just burning your life away. Yes. Yeah. So it's like you have to actively choose to cater to happiness and make it a priority. Yeah. And yeah. then actually take actions based off of that, even if they don't serve all of the, you know, criteria of you know, finance or whatever it is, you have to like rejigger everything so it's serving that goal. Yeah, yeah. And to me, the key word is the happiness. It's like, where am I going to be happy? You know, mm -hmm. what do I have to focus on how do you to feel, be happy? How do you feel about failure? Like as a, uh, I guess. <laughs> In just my life. <laughs> <laughs> as a practice. Uh, you know what? One of the notes I give advanced improv uh, students, if I have them in 401, which is the higher level or higher, it's like, you're not failing enough. Uh, mm -hmm. You're playing it safe. You're not throwing yourself out there to fail. You're not going to get any better. You're only going to stay at a certain level. Uh, and that goes with stand-up. Uh, in my world of comedy, uh, stand-up especially, you have to learn how to bomb in order to, to grow. In improv, you have to do uh, it sounds horrible. A thousand bad scenes to get to the good scenes. Once you get there, you'll never go back. You'll always get better as you go along. Uh, I think it's easy to fail once you get used to that aspect of it. Awesome. <laughs> I'm going to just call out that we're now in the UCB studios. Yeah. So the magic of recording is 90% of the time you don't know if you're recording. So I uh, messed up our last record. Now we're in a different studio. You know what? I'll be honest with you. I knew we weren't recording, but I felt <laughs> that we were on such a good thread that we should have just kept talking. Ah, it was that good of a conversation. Yeah, it was. It was. Well, that's good then. <laughs> Um, okay, well, here here's a question. I okay. think I've asked you once before, but we're gonna I'm gonna ask you again. If you were to um, address somebody out there who's not necessarily just in the improv world, who's struggling with confidence and mm. they're finding their ability to speak freely, what would you tell them to do? Like they can't uh, like maybe they really want to be extroverted and like they have a great sense of humor when they're at home. Yeah, and they just can't get it out when they're. Uh, I, I might amend my answer because I just finished a class I just had before I just met you at a one-on-one class show, and it was filled with introverts. Oh, really? And it was eight weeks of just uh, pulling teeth almost. I was getting angry. Uh, <laughs> uh, and it's like, well, that's the wrong way to teach. Uh, uh, and it's like, what can I do to get these people to know that it's okay? All they have to do 
is make that first step. Right. And uh, I overworried. And they did their show, and it was a fantastic show. Really? All those people that uh, <laughs> yelled at for eight weeks. I like. I literally saw them like, <sighs> like uh, clench their fist and step out. And then once they stepped out, all the training that we had took care of them. Uh, and they had great scenes, you know? So it was more just the tools, them yeah. using the tools despite themselves? I feel that is. And also... Uh, most improvisers, not all improvisers, a lot of improvisers are introverts in real life, extroverts on stage. Wow. And you see that a lot. Uh, I know I am. Uh, and I, I, there's many different reasons. One is I feel it's because I want to sit back and watch everybody. Right. So I can make fun of them later on stage <laughs> or uh, uh, explore these characters or something like that. Uh, I feel introverts process a lot. Uh, think about a lot of things mm. before they make that move. So once they do make that move, they're better prepared than extroverts. That's a good thing. So it's positive. Yeah. So if you're stuck inside your own body, yeah. that's probably because you're more thoughtful than most people. What are you doing at that time while you're stuck inside your own body? You right. Know? You're thinking, oh, I could have done this. I, I mean, at least from my point of view, it's always a lot of coulda, shoulda, and conversations I never had with people that I pretend to have. Or like narrating what you would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And I like, think, I know something interesting that I could contribute, but I'm not going to say it. I think that's what it is. I think introverts are just more well-rehearsed. They just need to make that first step. How would you, in, like, if you were to give someone the shorthand, uh, how would you encourage somebody to, like, Get that out of your body, like you know. When you get out like, of there, get it in. Like, oh man, I have tried so many ways to the point of uh, I just trick people to go out on stage sometimes. Really? Like, uh, I don't know. I also I just saw um, last night. I was up till four in the morning watching uh, Last Chance You, which is uh, it's a show on Netflix that's uh, about a community college in Eastern Mississippi for football players that aren't uh, didn't make the grade as far as getting onto. Uh, big big college teams. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, it's an academic school as well as people who've been kicked out of major schools that are trying to try again. So it's your last chance. Uh, oh, is it a docu show? It's a docu, yeah. Oh, my God, I want to watch that. It's incredible. And you don't have to like football to like it because it's just so – it's beautiful. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's sad. It's, you know, nerve-wracking. Uh, growing up in Gainesville, uh, in, which is southern – the South, Florida, part of, parts of Florida are really the South. And this is in Mississippi. I really kind of attach to it. But the reason why I mention it is the coach is just a screaming madman uh, <laughs> that I don't think any of the players like afterwards. They don't look fondly back on this coach, but he made them get out there and do it. Uh, uh, but I think the best motivator was the a woman I can't remember her name now. She's so, I think it's Colleen. Uh, she was the academic supervisor, and she opened them up by just talking with them. Mm. So it was interesting to see two different styles of motivation. Mm. One is just, get out of there. What's your problem? Give me 20. Just yelling, yelling, yelling. And he had an art to him. You know, mm -hmm. he, he had a, definitely a poetic way of yelling and cussing and just being that typical coach. And I think the juxtaposition of him versus this woman who was just kind of trying to understand them as to where they're coming from. Right. You know, and um, I don't know. I have to finish the rest of the series <laughs> to know <laughs> how it ends up. Uh, but as I watch that, I go, well, what am I? Am I the screaming coach or am I the understanding counselor? 
And I'm really, I vacillate between the two depending on who I have to deal with. Right. So sometimes you need to be screamed at. Sometimes <laughs> you need to be uh, pushed into the deep end of the pool. Sometimes you just need to be conjoled. Um, yeah. I don't think there's one grand way to do it. it ups, it's up to the personality. Yeah. I feel like it also helps, I mean, for this one vote for the screaming. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you're a scream, you, you, you appreciate the screaming? I think it, it helps at times just to like get the fuck over it. You know, like be yes. like, look like a moron. Yeah. Do it. Look like the stupidest person at the party. You pretty much sound like how I teach. Right? <laughs> just fucking <laughs> do it. And then get really good at that. <laughs> You know, yeah, it takes that one leap, you know, and I, I, I think I'm very empathetic too. I know what's making you not make that leap. I yeah. feel it. I'm on your side, but get the fuck over it and jump, Yeah, you know, and you will be taken care of. And it's weird how like that frees you once you yeah. get really good at just looking dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even in, even if it's in like a professional scenario, you know, yeah. you're like, and you know what? It's like today after this is so great. Cause I just finished with this class and after their show, they had two, they go up in two halves. They had a really good show. Uh, afterwards they all were hugging each other and everything. And you can look at them in their eyes and that same look of my, uh, I remember when my, I had a little puppy and the first time he ever ate cooked meat. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, what is that? And I could see it in all their eyes. It's like, oh, that felt really good. <laughs> and it's up. like, welcome to my world. You're going to have a lot yeah, of fun. That's true, actually. It's like once you um, f you do like show up for yourself yeah. and you get out of your own way, yeah. you feel it's like a high and you like want it again. Absolutely. That's what like I say. Yeah. I always uh, reference the Will uh, Ferrell uh, line in old school uh where he hasn't had beer in a long time oh, and he yeah. tastes beer and goes it just tastes so good on lips yeah <laughs> it's like oh <laughs> yeah. man do i oh man when it touches your lips it's just it's just good right yeah and it's like that's how i explain that moment you get on stage you know you're prepared you just don't know it but you're prepared and once you get out there and you just trust the the process it just feels so good yeah you know i also think it's like this is a weirder way to do it, but sometimes it helps just to, like, squeeze your physical torso. Like, if you can't actually speak, uh -huh. just, like, sometimes I remember there was a point in my life where I'm like, my voice was like this. Uh -huh. Because I couldn't actually, like, get myself to speak up. Oh, really? So if you, like, twist your body, you can sometimes just, oh, that's like, interesting. physically force yourself to, that makes sense. to make yeah. a sound. Yeah, yeah. And people will be like, <laughs> what? Did you just... So just punch yourself in the stomach? <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> Like, just be like, even if it's only, like, you can only hear you. Like, yeah. you're like, I think that it's good. Is this for, like, public speaking or? Public speaking or I think when people have a fear of performance in general. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it'll feel like a physical thing where I can't get the volume out of my oh. body. You know what I mean? I have a question for you then because I have that wall with writing. Mm. You know, uh, uh, I've written, I, I wrote out the first copy of a book and I can't write the second copy. I can't rewrite it. Oh my God, dude. And it's like breaking <laughs> that wall. Same. And, I'm in the same situation. You know what I'm, my solution is? I don't know if it's a good solution. Mm -hmm. Put it out anyway and then revise. Mm. <laughs> I, I, the only way I can revise is for other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the only motivation. <sighs> so like I, I do that with my own, I have like a podcast album that I've been revising like probably for two years oh my gosh and i just yeah, do it yeah. a section at a time based on other people's feedback oh, but that's the only thing that will make me do it yeah i just i am my worst so critic. Daunting. i think that's why i'm yeah. good at improv but horrible at 
anything scripted because I go, no, that's not it. And it will never be good enough. It, yeah, I think. Ever. <laughs> but so if I got could, that to look forward yeah. to. But if it could just exist somewhere, I yeah. think it helps just yeah. to be like, I made it. it. It It's out there. Yeah, yeah. I didn't let it die. Just Publish it and I walk well away. publish it and then keep revising it while it's published. Interesting. I know that's bizarre, but I do yeah. I do that. I have a book. I have two books and I continually revise them, revise and then repost <laughs> them. Because <laughs> then I'm like, at least it's out in the world, and if it's meant to have any merits, it has oh, you know its own life good. that it's living. Um, otherwise, you have to have. I tried to actually pay somebody. I tried to get my mom to actually be my like. Per, per, like traffic person, like uh -huh. to be like, hey, write that, do the revisions, oh. and it didn't work. No, I would my, that would not work with my mom because I <laughs> already trained how to shut her down. <laughs> uh, when she's in lecture mode, I just go, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> that would be the last person I could get yeah. to help me. I know it's like, honestly, it's like if you're accountable to one other person, yeah, it helps immensely. Yeah, that's yeah. the only solution I've come up with. Huh. Um, Okay, I have another question for you. Okay. What would you tell somebody to do if they were really, really self-conscious, um, let's say with presentations, auditions, or performance of any kind? Like, You mean like what tricks to do or mm – -hmm. uh, Like if they're just – like if it's a painful level of self-consciousness. I think uh, first of all, moment before, uh, before this – you put yourself in that situation – uh, I, me I mentioned before about sitting and watch. Introverts like to sit and watch. That's when you should be doing some work, uh, setting yourself up for that moment. So let's say the moment is, for me, getting out on stage. Right. That's the moment that you're scared to do. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I would tell them to go see as many shows as possible and see how people go on stage. You see oh. what they do. Uh, and just kind of learn to mirror and mimic what they're doing. That's Are they doing great. small talk or not small talk? Uh, almost to the point. And what I did the first time I went on stage is I literally stole. <laughs> uh, no, I shouldn't. Yeah, fuck it. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> so long ago, we literally stole parts of uh, a Second City's stage show. We were down in West Palm Beach, Florida. Nobody knew Second City, but they were touring. We saw their show, and we loved it so much, but we didn't know how to put on a show. We didn't know what to do or how to ask for suggestions or anything like that. And there is no training <laughs> in West Palm Beach, Florida for improv or what kind of comedy we wanted to do. So we literally just lifted what they did. Their intro, their uh, explanations of games, mm. clearly stole some of their games, thinking, well, we're improvising. That's not the... That's not going to kill you. Uh, but then we actually lifted a couple sketches, and we realized, oh, we need to write our own stuff. That's funny. Uh, uh, but that's what got me up on my feet. It's like mirroring other people. Observe that's and see what they do. Smart. And again, if you're an introvert, I feel you're a thinker. Um, in my class, I don't know if I mentioned this before about pirates and robots. Mm -mm. Uh, we tend to creatively attack uh, scenes or art or anything with either the left side of our brain, the right side of our brain, the pirate in us or the robot in us. The pirate <laughs> is the impulsive one of us, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there's a little bit of both in all of us, but one is more dominating than the other. Uh, uh, so the pirate gets out there, has no problem, throws himself out there and yar, what's funny? And then they <laughs> just fade and on stage in front of people, the robot is constantly analyzing everything all the time, uh, uh, seeing what's going on, what needs to be said, this and that. So with a pirate, you don't need to get them to go out there, uh, tell them to get, out, get, get them to go out there. You tend to tell them to 
think before you go out there. Right. With the robot type people or the people who have problems coming out, I'm going, you've already analyzed this. You know what to do. Now trust what you know and step forward. Right. But make sure you're analyzing because, you know, sometimes you don't know you're doing it. Uh, that's why I say make a point. Like if I have a show next week, I'm going to see two or three shows so I can see how it's done and feel comfortable in that manner so that when I do it, I'll be prepared. Right. And I think introverts that have that kind of robot feel will do that automatically. They just need to know that they're doing it automatically. Right. You know. What if it's not even introverts and it's just like uh, excruciating, you know, body dysmorphia or something like that, that just mentally people are like, I am on fire when I'm being looked at. I know there are a lot oh, of people that are just like yeah. trapped by physical appearance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, those guys are screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck them. Uh, uh, I, I would say, I mean, it, to me, once you said that, my flash memory was jumping off of the high end, the uh, the high dive. Oh, the yeah. highest high dive, the platform high dive. I don't know what the meters are, but the highest one. I remember in summer camp, how many times I walked up that ladder uh, to jump and just like halfway up the ladder, nope, back down. All the way up the ladder, nope, back down. All the way up to the ladder onto the platform, nope, back down. <laughs> and it's just like I almost made it. I, I was at, I was working as a counselor at the time, so I had to jump off that thing at some point in time. Uh, uh, and I finally, I would say after a week, it was a two-week uh, session, after a week of going up and down, up and down, I finally just, I might as well do it. Right. And I jumped, uh, and I belly flopped. Oh, really? And it was the worst thing in the world. Oh, my God. And my it's... teeth were loose afterwards. Oh, my God. And then uh, afterwards, it's like, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> uh, uh, and then the last next time, it didn't hurt at all. The, and then I just got really good at it. That's cool. So it just wears off. Yeah, it has to. Yeah. It's just having to do it over and over. I think it also helps when you're around other people that are comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. I feel like that's part of what I just love so much about so many of the performers at UCB. Like, there are so many people that are so incredibly comfortable in their yeah, skin. Yeah, And it just makes me want that. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's what we teach. Hopefully, we, I know I do, is like, don't play, don't hide behind a mask. Right. Don't hide behind a character that you project. Use yourself. And I think once you learn to do that, uh, just the floodgates open. You can do anything as yourself. You know, yeah. you can play. It's like you become your own superhero. Yeah, yeah. But it takes, uh, I, I hate hearing it, I hate saying it, but it's true. It takes uh, repetition to do it and do it until you finally get it done. You know? I, I think also acting like somebody else helps a lot. Just um, even in like, if you're in a vulnerable place emotionally, Yeah, I always say like borrow somebody else's personality. Just like, <laughs> you know, wear it and act like them and yeah. just... You can, like, be safe inside of your little shell for a while if you are really <laughs> Well, I would be wary of that note, though, <laughs> because uh, for performing-wise, uh, right. if you watch uh, Mary Holland, who's a wonderful performer. I love her. And go, I love how she—well, actually, she's very natural. I'm going to use Betsy Sodaro because she's um, big and beautiful and wonderful. Funniest, yeah. most amazing person in the entire well, Also, we have so much in common. Betsy, if you're listening, we should be best friends. The okay, thing, John Carpenter's the thing. She is. Okay. <laughs> she, she and I have the fav same favorite movie. Oh, do you? Uh huh. What John, is it? John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, of course. I'm listening to her new <laughs> podcast with Adam McKay. Yeah, I got to listen to that. I it's, hear it's good. It's amazing. But, anyways, back to what I'm talking about. Yes. You're uh, way uh, cooler than If you watch people. her, uh, uh, and, you know, because I use her as an example all the time, is like, that's what a pirate is. 
A pirate is as a pirate does. She's a pirate when she comes out on stage. She exists uh, as herself out there. But if you come out and just do exactly what she does, uh, you're just mirroring her. I, you know, I want to pull back on that note because I think if you try to act like Betsy Sidaro, you're not going to be Betsy Sidaro. You're going to be you. Oh. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like so, a trick. It's yeah. like a sideways way to get there. Yeah. So I everything more... I said was wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's like a sideways way to help yourself yeah, get yeah. used to being extroverted or, or yeah. co more confident. That's a neat note. I'm going to use that now. It's like, yeah, play yourself on stage, but watch other people play themselves and pretend to be there yeah. <laughs> until you can finally find yourself. I like it. Yeah. Um, has the practice of improv evolved for you like meditation might? Or a monk? Like, do you find yes. it has allowed you to go deeper into other areas? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I uh, I just finished probably a two-year stint of saying yes to everything as far as travel goes. Nice. Uh, because I had been here, I think I've been in L.A. over nine years, and I was just not, I was just in this hunkered little world of Hollywood, uh, either teaching or performing or doing whatever and just waiting for the next audition. No, I can't go here. I can't go. I can't do this trip. I can't do that trip. And I said, I have got to just say yes. So anytime anybody asked me to do an improv uh, workshop in their town, I decided to say yes for an entire year. Uh, and it bled into two years because it was so much fun. Awesome. And I said, like, I would have never have done that. I would have never gone there if I didn't just say yes to everything. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great way also just to grow yourself. Like, I think a lot of people end up in this routine where they're kind of like, I think I'm happy. Yeah. And then you start realizing, like, I don't really know if I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. Just to grow, uh, I don't know, more passion or more sense of, like, I guess more nerves. Just yeah. to, like, go into places you've never been before and meet lots of people. And it's like, to me, when I look back, it's like the silliest thing stopped me. The you flight, know, yeah. the flight. Why would a flight? I mean, I'm not going to Singapore. That shit's crazy. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, Australia was offered to me, and then I literally went, that's a 16-hour flight. <laughs> I'm still working. I'm still trying to get to that point. Maybe in a year. Uh, maybe in a year. Maybe I'll be ready for it. But, yeah, it's amazing what roadblocks you put up in front of you that aren't really roadblocks. So true. Yeah. Or like thing, you know, boxes you put around things like it has to be this way. Yeah. Like if I'm going to be a published author. It has to be this way. Yeah. It has to be yeah. perfect. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. I feel you're like creating excuses to not do totally. what you want to do. I feel like a lot of the time you don't even realize it, but you're like, I'm afraid actually. <laughs> That's why I'm not doing it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because of all these little, you know, clinical uh. things. Um, Have you... Recognize particular ways that uh, improv has changed others, like, for example, students? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I mean, I see here in uh, L.A., I just see people become stars, you know. Uh, <laughs> that. And that's, that, it's not just, you know, getting an agent and performing. You see their confidence. You see where they started and uh, how they... Uh, you know, or feel a little uh, afraid of their moves, or you see it in their eyes. You can see when people are on stage and they don't know what's going on in their eyes because they're open wider. You see more white in their eyes, literally. That's funny. Uh, uh, I know that look. I've had that look. I'll give that look every now and then. I know it. Uh, and we we're talking about Mary Holland. She's a great example. I don't say she was ever scared. But she looked like that all the time. Uh, uh, and then I didn't see her for a while. I don't know if she even took a class. I've just coached her a few times. And I've just seen her slowly progress and turn into a bonafide star. 
Yeah. You know, I think she is a star. Same thing with Aubrey Plaza uh, from classes or, or from shows that I worked with her uh, uh, in New York and see where she is now. Uh, so that's, you know, and it's not like improv gets you an agent. Improv gives you the confidence to get the agent. Mm. Uh, the idea of being in the moment on stage and being able to accept anything without knowing what's going to happen next is a tremendous skill to have anywhere in your life. I love Mary Holland partly because she just goes there. Like, mm-hmm. of all the improv, she, I feel like, is so big with her physicality. Yeah. And I love that she's on Veep now. Yeah, But yeah. she's just like, she, I feel like, is way more bold or willing to do something silly. No, yeah, I yeah. Love she, well, she's always range. been silly. Uh, uh, I just love how she listens. Mm. Uh, uh, and I agree. I agree with all of that, you know. Uh, it's great to see her progress. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, she's amazing. How, uh, or do you have any tricks for letting go of a fuck up? Like if you do Ugh. make the, no, like... I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a, uh, a note that I give everybody and I try to listen to it myself. Uh, first of all, my favorite note to give is there's no such thing as a slump in improv. Having said that I'm in a slump right now. That's the full <laughs> phrase. Uh, uh, because there really isn't. I mean, if you're really playing in the moment and just working on what's right in front of you, you'll be fine. Uh, uh, but sometimes you just can't think. Sometimes your, your head is just a little murky. It's like swimming in jello or something like that. So I use this phrase, uh, with all my students. First of all, before your show, give yourself one assignment, one thing to do. There's a lot of stuff you need to be thinking about in improv. You can't think about everything, but you can knock one thing out. So, like, today I'm going to work on supporting off the back wall to help other people. Mm-hmm. Because maybe one of my problems, I would support off the back wall and then be hilarious and take over the scene. And these two people clearly had an idea and I stepped all over it. And it's like, that's a bad habit. Today I will work on that. Uh, uh, and then the idea is once you give yourself an assignment, work on it. After the show, No, don't ask anybody to tell you about it. You coach yourself and you say, did I do it or did I not do it? If you did it, awesome. Pat yourself on the back all the way home. Drive home, patting yourself on the back. Good, good. I'm getting good at this. Then once you get out of the car, drop it. You're not that good. Okay. (laughs) And the other side, if you didn't do it uh, and you wanted to, get in that car and beat yourself up all the way home. What the fuck am I doing? Why am I bothering doing it? Then once you get out of the car, drop it. You're nowhere near as bad. Mm -hmm. The idea behind that is... Don't obsess, but allow yourself to have time. Allow yourself time to grieve about the bad moves that you make, but then also be able to drop it and then move forward. I like the car ride. Yeah. Like the control. It's a way homer note. It's called way homer notes. You know, (laughs) process it. Because I started in New York when they didn't have cars. It's a subway ride home. Uh, Beat yourself up all the way home. Uh, And then once you get home, go, okay, drop it. Then tomorrow's a new day. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, because if not, because I've done it the other way around where I've just obsessed over it. Then I'm on stage. I'm going, I'm doing it again. I'm doing it again. And then I can't <laughs> stop. So um, I always think about uh, whenever I know I fucked up, I'm like, oh, this is exciting. I'm learning something. That's a great. Yeah. There are no mistakes. There's only gifts. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to never do this again. Yeah. Like the fact that this hurts a lot. I'm like, oh, I just like I'm actually growing. Like, you know, when you yeah. work out really hard and your muscles hurt, I'm like, that's yeah. what that feeling is. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm like, that's the muscle just got broken, and yeah. now I'm going to heal it back stronger. Yeah, I like that, too. I agree with that, and that's something I always tell them. Uh, there are no mistakes. There's only gifts. Uh, don't uh, cavell on the on the gifts or, or on the mistakes. Uh, don't raise your eyes or go, ugh. If you make a mistake or your scene partner makes a mistake, treat it as awesome. Where is this going to go? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's that's probably the hardest training you need to be able to do, you know, is not let mistakes stick out there. I feel like also just another way to think about mistakes is when you are focused on them, you're being super self-indulgent. Very nice. Like yeah. you're like just a little pity party and a way for you to be like, I'm sad. Yeah. It's like, yeah. let it go. Get over yourself. You've got to watch Next Chance You, not Last Chance You. Okay. This is all in there. This Am is I all the about coach? This. Am I the yeller? I don't know. <laughs> oh, you sound, you got a little coach in you. Yeah. yeah. You're a 300 pound white Mississippi man. <laughs> That's exactly what I look like. Um, if you, uh, if you are trying to write or let's say, um, maybe perform what would you would do, how do you get inspired like how do you get creative juices flowing uh uh i try to this is a silly no, celebrate the mundane uh uh celebrate everything enjoy the little things uh uh don't wait to be inspired find inspiration in the small does that I like make that. sense uh, uh, I'll give a quick story about this, and it involves Ruby Tuesdays. I love uh, it already. Uh, oh, good. Uh, growing or growing up, comedy-wise, growing up in New York and, and L.A. as well, we're very cynical as comedians. And one of the biggest things, uh, not one of the biggest things, but a big joke is, uh, where'd you go, Olive Garden? Uh, uh, in other <laughs> words, we're making fun of you for going to Olive Garden. We're right. making fun of you for going to Bubba Gump's or something like that. Or we'll go there ironically. Mm-hmm. I still do that. I still go Me to too. Bubba Bubblegum Simon. Isn't this adorable? We've got to get an Insta <laughs> shot of this, right? They're called Insta shots. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Instagraphs. Uh, so we were on a tour, a Torco uh, show uh, in a college town, and the only thing open was a Ruby Tuesdays in the parking lot of the hotel we were at. So uh, a group of us from the tour said, let's go to Ruby Tuesday, sit at the bar and make fun of everybody. I <laughs> uh, uh, didn't say it like that, but that's clearly, it was like, in our ironic way, we just said, Let's go to Ruby Tuesdays. Should we? Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. So we know we're going to make fun of people or we're the, the kind of people or what, whatever that is. I would say we're there for two hours uh, uh, drinking a lovely Ruby Tuesdays red wine uh, uh, and just mm. looking at everybody at the bar. And we all kind of made the realization at the same time is these are people. These aren't, you know, these aren't <laughs> caricatures that go to Ruby Tuesdays that we play on stage all the time. These are real people. Uh, uh, they don't have local bars to go to, so they go to Ruby Tuesdays. Or that bar is their local bar. Right. Uh, and it's just kind of watershed moment for us. Like, we're such coastal people, liberal <laughs> elites, that don't realize that there's so much real stuff going on uh, at all these little restaurants or all these things. And that's what I mean by celebrate the mundane or what we think the mundane is. Uh, when I go <laughs> to visit my uh, 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 mom in uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, man, I'm mentioning that place a lot. I love going to the Chili's or the cheese. She loves the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, <laughs> who doesn't? Uh, but then I'm spending a lot of my time looking at everybody, uh, looking at all these people, again, the introvert in me. Uh, uh, while maintaining conversation with my mom, I'm just seeing what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it's the little stories that I think are much more interesting or much more exciting. Because if you're a comedian, or especially doing this style of comedy, 
we do a thing called reality-based. What's the truth of the scene right up front? Once you create something truthful, then something unusual appears. Then we heighten that unusual to where the comedy is. So you don't start a scene with a joke. You start a scene with the truth mm-hmm. uh, and then find a comedy. And uh, if we're not experiencing the truth and we're not seeing real people doing real things, uh, uh, you're not going to be able to play it effectively. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And with that, stories come up. And with that, like Antique Roadshow, uh, uh, just I'm going off on another tear. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> uh, I love boring. Th- what most people would think are boring things There's tremendous stories in them. Uh, antique Roadshow, where these people, why are these people bringing these antiques in to be appraised? Right. Where did they get them from? Uh, and then what's the story of the object themselves? And then what's their reaction once they find out how much uh, something is? Right. I call it the Antique Roadshow School of Acting. So <laughs> uh, tell me uh, right now, tell me this is uh, uh, these glasses right here. Uh, tell me the, the value of these. These are antique glasses. How, how much are those? $4.2 million. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a truthful reaction, right? They're not going to go, what? <laughs> They're going to go, oh, man. That's great. Oh, geez, I need a seat. You know, that's what they're going to do. Uh, so that's what I mean. It's like celebrate the mundane and the real and then heighten from there or that's find the so comedy there. funny. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, Vernon, Florida? Yes. I love that movie. I reference it all the time. Oh, my God. It's amazing. I do monologues off of it's that like movie. It's like air. Yeah. I feel like I'm like, I'm eating while I'm, I'm like, this is so sustenance. Do you know the story behind that? Uh, I think I remember, well, no, you tell me. I think I'm going to mess it up, but maybe you can correct me. The original story was going to be called Stumpville. I can't remember. Because it's about insurance fraud in that area where people are cutting off their digits. Uh, and getting insurance to pay for them. So they cut off a finger, and they get workman's comp. And then once workman's comp, they cut off another finger oh and God. another finger. Uh, so uh, that was like the original idea of the movie. Uh, and then also there's a tremendous uh, clan feeling. I think it's connected with the clan and all those people in that area. Right. Uh, and they got some hostile blowback and said, okay, then I guess we'll just interview people. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, and it was—it's a brilliant little oh, slice of life. Amazing. That's exactly what that comedy is. I think the Maisel's documentaries as well, like the Meet Marlon Brando. It's which one? Meet Marlon Brando. I don't know that one. It's just him on a press junket and getting him getting bored out of his mind, and it's like the most incredible portrait. Oh yeah. Of Marlon Brando, where you're like, oh my god, he's a genius. Yeah. Like it's uh, what's wonderful. it called again? Meet Marlon Brando. Oh, I should remember that. And then uh, I think it was, I watched a double feature. It was that and um, My Visit with Truman, which was a Truman Capote documentary. Good Lord. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. Um, I love uh, the the guy, the weird guy that has the little alligators in the lake. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. He has a monologue in there about uh, uh, the mule that died. Yeah. uh, And how he jokingly said, that's how I catch fish. (laughs) That's my monologue. If I have to do a monologue, I'll oh do that Oh, my God. Guy. That was yeah. the grossest story in that yeah. movie. Um, so if you were to find yourself in a boring or awkward situation, mm. let's say you're at a party mm-hmm. and you don't have much in common with the other people. Yeah. Do you have any tricks to make it slightly more fun? Uh, I try to, again, off the same line, I want to find out about them. So if somebody says that, uh, I think this happened, a, a friend's brother uh, delivered food for Cisco. And I went, I want to know everything about that. Uh, uh, get people to talk. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
I find when I start talking about me is when I get bored. Yeah. Because I get into uh, this is me beating myself up all the way home uh, after a party. It's like I just talked about my career. <laughs> uh, there's nothing worse than that. Uh, I go to uh, one of the. Re- I like to go to baseball games with friends, as most people are wont to do. But I find here more than anywhere else, if we go to a game, we're all going to talk about our careers, our agents, this or that. What pro- what are we doing next? Because that's totally you know. inside baseball. So I really try to want to know about other people and let them want to talk about themselves. And most people do. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, uh, they might feel like nobody wants to hear this. And it's like, no, I definitely want to hear this. Tell me, tell me your stories. Yeah. Uh, and... I don't go to parties much, obviously, <laughs> anymore. Uh, uh, I don't know why, obviously. Oh, because I don't like them. Uh, uh, <laughs> because I talk about my career all the time. Uh, um, I think the last one I went to, I had a uh, repressed memory released when I was talking to someone else. Uh, and I asked this a lo- party a long time ago. And they were just talking about, I think ghost stories came up. And someone was, have you ever seen a ghost? I was like, no, I... Oh my God! Yes, uh, uh, and it just came back. We don't have time for this story. It's a long story. Oh my God! But, I really uh, want to know about the ghost you saw. Um, uh, it, it was like the one moment in my life that I actually thought there were ghosts. I think was the thing, and it was just this whole process, and it's a long story about uh, uh, thinking. It, <sighs> well, is there really a ghost that you saw or not? That's all. To this day, I don't know, but I know that at that moment in time, I was scared poopless. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I ran out of that uh, house. Uh, I've seen a ghost before. Have you? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, it looked like a regular person. I was like, oh, that's what they look like. Interesting. Uh, mine was, uh, I got, all right, I'll just give you the juxtaposition of what was going on. <laughs> uh, I was at uh, my uh, stepfather, uh, since divorced, was remarried, another family, so my whole stepfamily. So I'm not really related to him, but I stayed with him. But I stayed in a room that uh, uh, my step-stepmother, this is why it's so confusing. That's a good movie title. Yeah, step-stepmother. <laughs> uh, her original husband uh, shot himself. Uh, oh, my committed God. Committed suicide. So saga. In that room that I stayed in when I came to visit. So I stayed in that room, and the room is filled with what my stepdad had at that time were train, collected trains. Oh, my God. So there are trains all that over is, the room. Let's make a movie yeah, of that yeah. right now. So I'm already, this feels creepy. And it's in the woods. It's five miles into the woods <laughs> with nobody around. Uh, I was reading Helter Skelter at the time. So everything was <laughs> built up. And then what happened were these dogs were barking outside, our dogs, uh, uh, like three or four dogs. One just idiot dog was barking right at this snake. And it was a giant rattle. I've never seen the j- rattlesnake as it was crawling was longer than the van that it was oh crawling by. So it was a ridiculously large, thick rattlesnake. And I hate snakes. I hate snakes. And it's yeah. out there and I'm freaking out. And the dog's barking. I can't get the dog back. So I go outside and I grab the the house gun because it's Florida. You have to have a house gun. Uh, uh, Going to shoot that snake or I don't want to shoot the snake. I've never shot this gun before. And I grab the dog and I'm pulling it away. And just as I'm I'm pulling it away, and I'm about ready to shoot the snake. I hear out of the room where I was staying, ooh, ooh, like the uh, oh <laughs> the train started going. God. The trains just started going for no reason at all. And I'm like looking at a snake, holding a gun, holding a dog <laughs> with another thing going. <laughs> and I just lost my shit, grabbed the dogs, got in a van, and drove away. I was the only one staying at the house at the time. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> I would never in a million years be brave enough to stay there by myself. Uh, in, in retrospect, I went back and found out that uh, there's a short in a wiring or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that was a repressed memory. I told that whole story was totally gotten out of my head because I was so freaked out. I totally forgot about it. <laughs> and then somebody at a party, I just, you know, they were telling me their ghost story. And as I'm listening, I'm going, oh, my God. And, you know, <laughs> and it just came back to me. Wow. So it was kind of like a therapy session. Yeah. Thanks yeah. to a boring party. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I know empathy is a crucial component in improv. Yes. Do you have any advice uh, for performers or non-performers who are struggling with being empathetic in, like, everyday life or maybe on the freeway when they're getting cut off? That is a totally different world. I don't don't understand my anger, you know, or other people's anger, but it's a totally different blocked-off world. Uh, In class and on stage, I will give this note, and that is – uh, as I listen to your scene, I listen to it as dad in the back row is watching your show. In other words, who's the most clueless guy who could be watching your show and not understand what's going on? Dad. Uh, you pay for the goddamn classes. Might as well see what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> and then you're looking for things to do. This is why we play the reality base, because you need to do stuff on stage that's recognizable to the audience that they can relate to. So I always say, does dad in the back row understand what you're talking about? Then continue with the scene. Make sure everybody is with you and is on board with what you're talking about. Mm. Uh, uh, So the empathy connection in improv always starts with that reality base of something that's believable that the audience can start to see. Uh, We're not throwing our comedy at you. We're making you come into our comedy. It's called representational theater. There's a fourth wall up. Now the audience needs to be lured into that scene. How do you lure in them, Go let them in their minds go, I know that. I'm familiar with that. I'm on board with that. I see that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the tricks we use are specifics. Don't say the car. Say the Miata. Uh, don't say vacation. Say Hawaii. Uh, because somebody in the audience has been to Hawaii. You know, somebody mm-hmm. knows that guy in the Miata. You know, uh, now you're connecting with them a little bit more. So think about your audience and be uh, gracious with I feel like yeah it's like yeah. being inviting with yourself yeah I think it's a visualization uh Ian Roberts used the term flash memory of when somebody says something you visualize something right away so I said vacation you kind of think of a lot of things but if I say water park vacation you go oh phew, urine pool uh, <laughs> you laugh because you know what I'm talking about right <laughs> yeah. uh, uh so all of a sudden the more specific you can be, the audience now starts to see that scene that you're doing and sees what you're talking about. And then uh, once they see it, then the comedy comes. Then mm-hmm. you heighten up to the comedy. I guess in real life, you know, it's about paint as clear a picture as you can yeah. so that they can see what you're saying. It's like sharing. Yeah. It's almost like being extra open. Yeah. Listen with your eyes. Don't listen with your ears. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people, if you think about it, when we are not that way with whoever we're talking to, yeah, some subconsciously it's probably because you're trying to be heighten, heighten yourself, like sure. be self protective or like I'm better than you. And you're I thinking want you what to you're going to say. Way. You're not hearing what's being said. Or you so, want to like do a control. You, some part of you is trying to control things and like yes. make yourself higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus being on the same plane with other people. Yeah, yeah. Um, It is like it's such a different feeling when you're talking to somebody that is completely open and is empathetic Mm -hmm. that will never make you feel dumb, that will always like, you know, make sure you're on the same page and make sure you're with them. And the entire time it's like I feel like conversation just flows so differently. 
Totally, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a book uh, called Auditions uh, with an S by Michael Shirtliff where he talks about communication as competition. Uh, mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you're trying to win the conversation. Uh, like a good competitive tennis game is when the ball goes back and forth and back and forth. Not when one person is just slamming on the other person, mm. which means every time somebody serves you, you go, yes, and add back and then go back and forth until you have that great conversation. So you listen competitively so that you can return volley. Ah, Does that I like make that. Sense? So listen to what they say, hear something from there, and then add to that. And then they feel like you heard what I'm saying and you're adding that. Now I'm going to listen to what you said. That is a great way to make friends as yeah. well. For anybody that's struggling with that. Because, like, I think you—most of us think, oh, nobody gets me. Yeah. I'm just a loner, and I'm—I can't find my kind. And then as soon as you start doing that, you realize, like, you have something in common with everybody around you. Exactly. You just have no idea. Yeah. Um, Do you ever get really, really angry? Like, red face, punch a wall kind of angry? Uh, not anymore— I get, I mean, I don't think so. Do you think the improv kind of helps with that? I think so, yeah. I mean, I get upset. I mean, I I, I just stay, if I stay on Twitter long enough, uh, uh, since the Trump days, I'll get angrier and angrier. I don't think that's red-faced angry. Uh, you mean like losing your shit angry? Yeah, like no. temper short. No, there was a time when I played football uh, <laughs> uh, when you just lose your, you have no control over what you're doing. Don't, I, uh, now I'm regretting all the times I did do that. Yeah. <laughs> I think as I reach this age, it's like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore because I look foolish and I'll never lose that Yeah. Uh, cool again. It's pr- do you think it's partly because you're a present more? Oh. Yeah. Much more observational. Uh, this is the good thing and a bad thing about uh, – uh, I've had horrible breakups in my life and I've had decent breakups and then I've had – kind of shitty breakup, like ghosting type breakups (laughs) as I get older and older uh, in my life. Guaranteed, there will be breakups. Uh, uh, But I find the more I've done this, the more I'm outside myself looking in going, this is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Instead of really being involved in the scene or the scene, no, real life. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, I think the more I've been observing things, the less I'm angry. But does that make sense? Yeah. I don't lose my shit, but I noticed this would be a time I'd lose my shit right now. That's uh, funny. Uh, you know, and I think driving uh, driving range is a good rage is a good example of like how I'll just go off in my head for a good twenty minutes of what you should do to people who don't use their blinker, and then I'll stop and go, really? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my anger, and I this is my what I think why we do it is because it's good to feel emotions. Uh, and what better place to feel just straight up anger, but in a car all by yourself when no one's around you and you can just express, you know, right. like have a good cry, yeah, yeah, yeah. have a good rage. <laughs> you know, I think it's the same thing. All right. Maybe it's a healthy thing then. Um, um, I'm hoping it is. If you could be any type of bird, what type of bird would you be and why? Man, this is a hard question. You know this, right? Yeah. Because I'm going to change it. Every time you say <laughs> it, I'm going to change it. Uh, uh. My favorite bird to look at, or when the one that makes me go "ooh," is the roseate spoonbill, because <laughs> uh, it's got a weird spoon-shaped uh, nose, and I identify with it because it's got pink. It's a flamingo that looks like a dork. 
So it's like a stupid ass looking flamingo. And it's like, that's who I am. Uh, I just came back from Alaska and uh, went to the, uh, what was it? The Alaska Raptor Center where they take care of all the cool. birds. And it's like, I think I'm the only one that was excited to go there. Oh the my whole God, trip. I would love to go there. And I got some great pictures. The eagles are just like, oh. yeah. Uh, uh, the owls there are incredible. Uh, uh, I've never I, seen uh, an owl up close, but eagles, like, it's like weep worthy. I'm yeah. Like, oh my God. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, they are. They're just gorgeous. And sadly, though, the more you learn about them, the more you realize they're doofuses. Really? Uh, one of the big problems they have at the Raptor Center, this has nothing to do with this podcast, but <laughs> uh, one of the biggest problems when people call, go, We got an eagle that can't fly because they usually get a call. This We got a flightless eagle. We got to get it. It's like, uh, Is it trying to fly? Yeah. How puffy is it? It looks pretty puffy. Yeah, it ate itself uh, too heavy. Uh, what? They eat, them so, they eat so much that they can't fly. Uh, so <laughs> they just say, just let them sit there for a while. They'll, they'll shit it out and then they'll fly. And it's like that's the majority of their calls are eagles that eat themselves too much and then can't wow. get up. Well, they're kind of like people. Yeah, in that way. Pretty much. <laughs> I am the American eagle. Yeah. I can relate to the eagle. Yeah. Any last uh, words of hope or inspiration that you would want to pass along for someone, anybody? Oh, uh, uh, everything that we said. Uh, I, th- I think the one thing that we said today that I really want people to know is there are no mistakes. There's only gifts. Uh, I think that's a good way to get through your life. Mm-hmm. You know, don't let mistakes stop you. Move forward with them and see where it takes you. True that. Mm. Well, for anybody who wants to find Billy... I personally suggest checking out The Smokes on Monday night at UCB on Franklin. Um, or you can follow him on Twitter at Billy Merritt. That's two R's and one T, correct? Two T's. Two T's? Two T's. Two T's and two R's. Two T's. Um, anything else I missed? Uh, I have a swarm show tonight, but nobody's going to know that now. Uh, uh, <laughs> the swarm is the first uh, Saturday of every month. Oh, Awesome. And the Swarm is the oldest uh, improv team to ever, besides the UCB, attached to the UCB. We're the very first house team. So if you want to see Silverbacks do improv, <laughs> that's where you go. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Billy, for thank recording you, with me twice. And Twice is good. <laughs> um, hey, sir. Yeah. There are no mistakes, only gifts. That's true. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Thank you. And uh, don't forget to smile. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't fart once. Huh? Uh. <laughs> <laughs>